Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we like to start by asking what are you thinking? And this week we're going to be thinking and chatting with the amazing Louisa or as some of you may know her, uh, Louisa the Vet. But as we learn in this episode, uh, she is so much more than that. She is Louisa the Mum, Louisa actually also Louisa the Gardener maybe, but you'll need to listen (laughs) a bit more to understand where that conversation goes. I think one of the most joyful things about chatting to Louisa really was understanding how she has uh, maintained a real love um, for veterinary medicine um, as well as uh, trying to encourage others uh, to keep up a love for veterinary medicine too. In our clinical segment this week we continue our journey through coagulation, speaking a little bit about secondary coagulation disorders uh, and the common problems that we will be faced with in practice. Okay, so listen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, There's always funny connections, isn't there? Because I suppose ultimately we connected, you know, over social media. But equally, then we worked out that actually we work very close together. So that's, it's a very small you know, veterinary work, and then, you know, you learn that you know however many people in common. It's a funny world. I don't know if you want to just start by, um, for our audience, introducing um, yourself and a little bit about your veterinary background. So um, I'm Louisa. Um, I, some people know me as Louisa the Vet, um, which is just how I go by now um, on Instagram. So that's obviously how you and I first connected. And then, yeah, like you said, we realised that we don't work that far away from each other. <laughs> um, so I qualified in 2013, um, worked for a private practice for a good four years or so, locumed for two years. So we're self-employed, absolutely loved that. And then settled back in North Yorkshire where I took a role as a clinic director um, at a lovely small animal practice. Um, and yeah, I've got my internal medicine certificate, always love learning, um, work with a fantastic team, love doing my social media stuff, which is sort of, I think I just, I don't really remember. I think I just started it as almost a hobby, but also to just remember the exciting things that I saw. And then all of a sudden I realized that people were learning from it. And then that just kind of um, motivated me to keep to keep keep doing it and I started to learn a lot more from it and then all of a sudden when I got gained more experience of seeing more cases my following got bigger and bigger and it's just become what it has and I just yeah that's I love it so work I'm on maternity leave at the moment going back soon um, and yeah I love sharing you know GP practice with doing some of my social media stuff on the side. But I just want to, it's always interesting to me, I think, why, well, so two things about that. First of all, you know, I have talked a lot about my identity as Scott the Vet, S-C-O-T-T-T-H-E-V-E-T, all one word. Um, you know, uh, and I think it's interesting that, you know, I I identify as Louisa the Vet and that's that's fine. But, you know, is that always fine? And And why do you make the conscious decision I suppose to make such a sort of definitive identity as that, as that thing, you know, that person. Do you know what? It's for the most part, I love being Louise the vet because it doesn't matter wherever I am, whatever I do, I, that makes up a huge part of me. And I'm okay with that. And I actually still do love that part of myself being Louise the vet. Obviously now my perspective 
has changed and priorities have changed. Um, there are times when I, you know, I don't want to be Louise the Bird, I just want to be Louise the Mum, um, Louise the person that likes, you know, gardening or whatever. Um, <laughs> Louise the Gardener. Yeah, that might be a new page, who knows. Um, and I don't, I don't really know. I think when I was doing my social media at that time, there was quite a few different pages, I think, that were kind of doing a similar thing. And I just thought, I'm just going to label it Louise the Vet because that's literally the most simplistic thing to think about. Um, and then it's kind of just stuck. And it's actually sometimes quite nice because if I have, um, you know, vet students coming to work with me, they'll be like, are you Louise the Vet? And I'm like, yeah, but that literally means nothing. I'm the same <laughs> I'm just Louisa and I am a vet like I'm not there's not there's nothing special and I just think whether they're totally underwhelmed when they meet me in person um but I don't I don't know I don't know why I decided to, to make it a thing um but I actually don't mind being Louisa the vet for the most part and do you think that there ever do you think that that ever has been an unhealthy or unhelpful relationship do you ever think do you ever think to yourself actually no I wish I wasn't that I that that isn't a a good part of me yeah um for a couple of reasons really so I think um I'm quite good at being um managing my life quite well and if I really want to switch off I will make myself switch off I think that's just come with time like I'm quite strict with myself now I'm quite disciplined with um you know if I think in the early days of having my Louise the vet it became quite obsessive and I was I constantly felt like I had something to prove or people to impress and um actually I realized that as time went on and I was really really busy working full time it wasn't sustainable to keep being that person and I'd become like a bit obsessed with oh my followers aren't going up as much and now I just think that is ridiculous like I do it now for enjoyment and I do it to learn and whoever wants to follow can follow it whoever wants to unfollow me unfollow me so I think there has been times when I have let it become too much of a thing in my life um, when actually in the grand scheme of things it's really not that important and I could do without it and I used to have a little I remember going to Cuba for two weeks and we had no internet because it's like Mordor over there and um, <laughs> whoever's <laughs> listening in Cuba we didn't really mean that <laughs> no the internet was 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 not really that frequent and it was lovely because I didn't go on it for like two weeks mm. um, and it was really refreshing so it's got its benefits and it also has its downfalls but I think I've become I'm quite a tough cookie now and I'm I, I don't take things personally and I do it for enjoyment and do you I mean do you ever feel that kind of expectation is that not quite difficult were you are putting out a certain, and I'm not being critical here, you're putting out a certain version of yourself, which is great, by the way. Like, I'm not, I'm very much a fan of, of what you're doing. But like you say, when that little vet student comes in and you're like, and she's like, or they're like, hello, are you Louisa the vet? And you're like, eh, yeah, but don't, not like, I mean, not really like that. So stop, <laughs> stop doing no, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, definitely. Um, and I think, that's where I try and have some realism in between it. Um, you know, I, I post things about my normal life and I'll, and I'll do posts on, you know, I, I think I shared um, a post on like a bleeding bitch spaying thing. So I do try, and I probably should do it more. I try and show the more realistic side of being Louisa, who is a vet. Um, and I am conscious that I don't try and portray myself as Louisa the vet as being anything other than Louisa, who is a GP vet who works in 
you know, a corporate practice in North Yorkshire because that's all I am. And because I think if I set my expectations of myself too high, that will become extremely stressful at work because I feel like I have to be someone that I'm not, which I already feel like that sometimes being a CD, you feel like you've got to be upon your game. So I'm, I am quite conscious about not being anything other than what I already am. So I'm just going to let my cat in. She's crying. Yeah, please do. My... um. <laughs> I have a new addition to our household in the form of a sphinx cat who is a rescue. Is it a bald cat? Oh, yes. Um, and, uh, but he's not, he's being a bit camera shy this evening, so he's just hanging out. But he, I've only, he's only been in the house for about six days, so um, I think he um, is just getting used to the, the world, but he's a, he's my new study buddy, so that's good. Oh, I know he's gorgeous, yeah, he's gorgeous. Um, I think that the, the, one of the biggest criticisms I have, everyone has with social media is definitely that, um, how re how realistic it is. And I think to see more and more people, um, you know, vets, particularly I think with big social media followings, just opening up and being a bit more honest about the fact that it's not Instagram perfect in the veterinary world either, I do think is really important. And I'm not saying that you need to lay your soul it's not, you know, it's not your, you don't have to be laying your soul on a, a slab, but equally, I think people seeing that there's, um, there are struggles, which we all know there are, I think is really refreshing and I think is really important. And I think will only help vet students, right? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You know, I probably spent a bit too much time at the start, um, almost trying to gain like validation from people. And then, you know, you, you probably did hit the nail on the head then when you think, oh, but then you set yourself up to be like, oh, I'm Louise the vet. And actually I'm just a normal, I'm just a normal vet. Like there's nothing extra special to me. I just, you know, these posts that I do, it's not, I'm just sat there thinking, oh, I'm gonna write that in five seconds. They're well thought out that case might have taken me days or weeks to have gone through in practice. It's not, it doesn't just come to me naturally. I have to work for it. I mean, you know, I'm always, every, I mean, people who follow me know that I'm always trying to learn something. Um, but I think we do have a duty to our um, followers, but colleagues, everybody to portray the, you know, the honest part of being, of being a vet. Um, and I probably should do it more, to be honest. I suppose, like you said, I've got to be conscious as well. You know, we, we all recently went through a phase of almost the thought of the veterinary profession, everyone in it, it became so negative that actually that upset me because I don't want anybody to be an upset in a profession that I, and hopefully a lot of us still love. Um, I think if, if we've lost our way by whatever means, there are always things that we can do to find a love for it again, whether it's, you know, doing things like this, a podcast, talking about it, setting up your own business. There, there's so many avenues um and I think we need to kind of balance it by yeah it's a bit s-h-i-t sometimes but actually it's um gosh is there good save uh, good save it's um it's also it can be really wonderful if um you know we I suppose if we're it, it, you know in, in in the right job working with the right people in the right area um because I think I think there was so there it's interesting you say that because there was some stuff recently where there was it, it's this kind of to and fro I think with some of the social media stuff because there's a lot of negativity like you said from veterinary professionals saying basically this isn't okay we're not into this we don't know you know we don't want to do this anymore a lot of negativity and then there's a backlash from other veterinary professionals saying well actually hold on a minute I mean, so, okay. And I, I think particularly with this this vibe that there were some veterinary prof professionals saying, look, 
don't do this you know telling undergraduates or, or or younger veterinary whatever saying basically don't do this this is not don't do it and then people saying well actually no you've not got any right to say don't do it now I don't so I'd be interested to know your opinion on that so what what do you think it's okay for veterinary professionals who are legitimately having a very challenging time so we're not well I'm certainly not sort of devaluing that but do you think it's okay for them to turn around and be like "Uh -uh, mm uh-uh don't do this no no way so um it's hard because you don't you don't want to offend anyone or take away the negative experiences that somebody's having so I don't think there's a right or wrong answer but if I we all go into vet school completely different. We have different experiences. We work with different people. Our careers progress in different paths. Some of us do extra qualifications. Some of us don't. Some of us have personal issues and that can impact our day-to-day work. Um, some of us have our, you know, quite profound mental health um, issues that can impact our work. So everybody's different. So we're all entitled to our own view. I think I would never personally tell somebody or try and rain on their parade about them going into a career that I personally still only eight years in get a lot of personal satisfaction from what I would be mindful of is being honest about some of the challenges and also being honest about how you can get through them and trying to help encourage a path that leads to a healthy relationship with work at some point I would never dissuade somebody from being a vet I just wouldn't what I would try and do is just inform them of how it can make you feel and the difficult times and encourage their journey if that's where they wanted to go you know throwing negative experiences at them however maybe I'm lucky that I've not had any deep rooted serious fallouts with my job you know emotionally and things like that so I think it's got to be that balance um and I think there's going to be a lot of other opinions and I think at vet school we didn't it, it came more to like over in the last few years at vet school we didn't really get any indication of the the, the, the struggles that we had really it's just we've kind of it's come to fruition as we've all been working so that's why when I've got students or vets that come in I try and nurture them and and make their job as nice as it can be but I certainly wouldn't put them off and it's funny because somebody asked me genuinely like would you recommend Lily would, you know would you push Lily to be a vet and I was like you know I'll, I'll guide Lily wherever she wants to go but if that's what she wants to do then brilliant I'd, I'd love her to be um because she's got me to learn from and guide her but I don't know I, I'm, I'm sure some people will disagree with me but yeah no but I think it's important I think and how old is Lily now Lily is your daughter by the way yeah my daughter Lily is my daughter and she's eight and a half months old right okay so there's a long time there's a little bit (laughs) there's a little bit of time (laughs) I love that so there's to be I I, you know I I don't know maybe in I mean 20 years I'll be ready to leave but at the moment you know I still love my job well love's a strong word I still have work has a positive impact on me still and I don't think I think that that we should we should be uh, we you know we should be as confident saying that as we should be speaking about the 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 more challenging aspects of it. And I think it's actually it's really important that you're able to say and you shouldn't feel 
you know, you shouldn't feel uh, wrong for saying, well, actually, no, I love my job too, but I also don't like this and don't like that. Do you think as far as, is, is there, do you think there are particular strategies that you have or things that you have done that potentially have allowed you to maybe keep some of that, you know, love or, 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 or fulfillment that you get from your career? In my first job, I was kind of thrown at the deep end. So we did kind of have like a backup, but it was kind of, you've gone into, you've gone into, at the time it was private practice and you're on the on-call road. So I, I very quickly learned a lot of information um, and I kind of got quite a thick skin all of a sudden. Um, I was in a, a branch that was one of the busiest and I was overwhelmed with work and I did, I remember, and I'm not really, a, I'm not generally a crier, well I am since Lily, but I remember, I remember a weekend on call and it was, from Friday morning till Monday morning and this woman she was like I'm writing a complaint and I was like oh god what have I done like okay and she went I'm writing a complaint that I saw you on Friday afternoon and you're doing the revisit on Monday and you you are still working um so I think when I left that practice for various reasons but one of which was that became an unsustainable and unhealthy work lifestyle I that's one of the reasons I became a locum wanted to work for myself figure things out wanted to figure different practices out and see what I liked um as time has gone on as well I have not I have stopped feeling guilty about now saying no and having and setting healthy boundaries at work so for example I I'm quite happy to make sure I leave at seven Obviously, if an animal comes in, pet comes in, um, that needs care, I would never leave. But if there's a way that we can manage the day in the diary so that we all leave at seven, I'll do it. Um, so I think I set myself healthy boundaries. Um, I also make sure that I have a life outside of work, which obviously the majority of the time now is Lily. Um, and I think I could do more to make work, I don't know, make it almost even more enjoyable but I think again it comes down to the person Scott I genuinely don't dislike my job and I'm very lucky that I do think it's my calling and also that I found again a job that I genuinely enjoy doing I go to work and I'm lucky with the team that I have that it does feel like you are also with your friends and I've got a very support we all support each other but I've also found my area that I love so I love teaching so that's why I've got into a clinic director role where I can teach the other vets and they're they're amazing and the nurses and, the, and to the point where I get intimidated because I'm like oh god if they start to know more than me then I'm going to be like this redundant person at work um, <laughs> that's I mean that's ridiculous that's ridiculous but, but I don't know I know the feeling and I think you but I think I mean not that I know everything in the world at all but I think you you genuinely I think that you're never going to know everything and you're always going to be sense checking you know and I get asked so many questions as part of my role and I was frantically texting another specialist tonight being like oh someone's asked me this question what is it you do again you definitely will know the answer <laughs> but you know what I mean like I think what what's that thing and and I think you know we'll never yeah we'll never stop learning and I think that's really good and, I, and actually one of the things that I really like about your page is that um you know because there's lots of different kind of sort of sort of slants that veterinary pages can take as far as who they're targeting but I really love that you're targeting vets and that way of kind of you know disseminating information through what you're doing so I think it's it's really really I, I think that's really nice and I think what 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 is nice actually about 
I suppose doing things maybe like this is that people can hear your actual voice as in your as in your what is this accent no no but I but I, I hate to be like regionalist but I love the fact that you've got an accent that isn't it's funny when I hear my voice back I'm like that is awful is that how I sound I'm very very northern very northern no I'm I'm totally into it <laughs> Yeah, I, love it. I could even put on my um, my, my Bolton accent right now. Um, oh, no, no one will understand. <laughs> no, don't do that. no, but um, you know what? It is nice. And that's one thing that I don't really do too much, which is funny because when people meet me and you can see how much I talk, I don't shut up. I don't tend to do that many videos of myself speaking. Um, and I don't know why that is. Camera shy, who knows? Um, but yeah, no, it is nice to do this because then people can put face to the pios that I keep loading. <laughs> I know that's good though no 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 listen I love it you know when we talk about these different opinions about all these sorts of things I think it's important that we have lots of different opinions and and none of us are it's all just a difference of opinion and in, in a in a very balanced way and no one's right or wrong necessarily it's just different isn't it and I think you're you're absolutely right about that kind of difference in personality and approach and and we're all going to be affected by this profession in different ways and it's not bad or good or right or wrong it's just different and that's okay how do you see your career obviously you know very important job being mum but how do you see your career kind of developing now post mum post post brexit post whatever <laughs> so it's really funny that you asked me that because i've just been speaking to one of my um one of my best friends she was my chief chief bridesmaid or whatever you call them that is about everybody thinks i'm a bit loopy because i'm signed up for a new certificate all right yeah right um so i've signed up for the um an imaging course now so i absolutely love internal medicine uh, and i think i've probably spoken to you about how if i was absolutely honest with myself one of my main passions that i don't regret but kind of regret i kind of think oh what if was that i didn't go down sort of what you've done and, and, and do the internship and things but i kind of progressed at a rate in my career and life that I couldn't see myself going back to do an internship. And it's not that I wanted, you know, I wasn't, I wanted to bypass any specific route. I, I know that it sounds really, really hard and intense. And for, for me and my career and, and life, having children, the thought of doing an internship and a residency just does, does not seem like it's for me now. Um, I would say firm no. Yeah. Thank you. So, so terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. honestly, like I, I mean, I think it's 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 a bit it, like not from a from genuinely like that is not what you're needing in your life. No, no, and you know what? <laughs> I think I just needed it, it. It was that I've got this inner, and it's kind of annoying, but it keeps me going. This inner wanting to always learn, um, and that's why I'm, I'm always open and honest with any friends or whatever. I do sometimes struggle more at home looking after Lily. Obviously, she's you know the light of my life and I love her to pieces but there's something that isn't there when I'm looking after her and I look forward to going back to work because I feel like I constantly have to learn for me to get a different sense of satisfaction so obviously I'd, I've got courses and, and things booked but I finally decided that I need a focus I need something to work for I don't need to rush it because I can do it over a period of years um which i probably will do so i've actually signed up for the uh for, for an for um, an imaging course now because i absolutely love ultrasound scanning um and i've kind of got to that point where i think maybe it's a bit imposter syndrome -y. um 
am I actually scanning this right? Um, what am I making this up? So I just want to sort of consolidate that and actually I can see myself with the medicine and the imaging, maybe one day just, just doing that, perhaps offering that as a service locally myself. I, d- I don't know. Um, it's a good combination. It's a good combination because I do, I think... It benefits each other, doesn't it? 100%. And I think, you know, one of the massive, like... And, and I think, you know, people always think that by default, I'll be really good at imaging, but actually it's the complete opposite because, you know, I trained in an environment where there was imaging residents. So we never did any imaging. Like I'm probably the worst person, you know, there's a, like the worst person to ask to do imaging. But, but So I think it's actually very complimentary though. So I think if you're going to work as a, a, a medicine clinician kind of independently like that, no, I think it's a really good idea keeping that other part it must be a different part of your brain you're using for that versus child it must be so i think it's healthy to keep that going no that's good oh, good news that's a, i'm very pleased you're doing that yeah no, so i'm really looking forward to it I've, I've spoken to the tutor and she's she's going to help me sort of guide um what to do and when and it's just like navigating mm. childcare and work and make sure i get the case but i'll do it because i'm disciplined and that's one thing that i've become um but obviously the last time i did my certificate i didn't mm. have a baby this time I do and she's always the priority so hopefully I'm sure I can oh, well that's it. that's um, good news I'm glad that you're and I love to hear your enthusiasm just yeah. overall it's very inspiring oh thanks especially especially coming from such an old burnt out pessimistic <laughs> no I'm joking I'm not I'm... I've got a very specific vet that talks very highly of you at my practice uh I think I know who you're talking about he's He's very kind. We had a fun time at vet school. So yeah, that's oh, very kind. No. Every, everybody, everybody that I've spoken to or mentioned your name speaks very highly. Oh, that <laughs> is. They're all drunk or lying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, listen, talking about um, nice things. So let's talk about, so um, uh, you may feel uncomfortable hearing it, but I'm sure, and I know that you are inspiring to very many people and actually... Uh, hopefully even more so after hearing some of your thoughts today but can you share with us a little bit about potentially someone who might inspire you or has inspired you um oh who inspires me so many people um I'll split it up into I get inspirations from different aspects of life and it doesn't always have to be veterinary um so I just get generally inspired by um you know what sounds really silly but sometimes and again it's hard because Instagram versus reality I get quite inspired by um some of these like I'm really obsessed with following um like exotic vet specialists I don't ever want to see some sort of lizard type creature but watching these guys like, operate on chickens and I, I'm just like you are literally an inspiration to the profession that you go above and beyond for animals that actually might not be held in as such regard elsewhere so it can go from those kind of inspire me to um <laughs> chicken vets <laughs> chicken like like they do r- rabbit lung lobe operate stuff that literally they literally made a flotation device for a fish right. and I cried. I, I'm missing out because I don't feel I've seen Honestly, any of this. But I, I need to show you this and <laughs> you go back in love with goldfish again. We'll put a link, we'll put a link in the show oh, notes to this. <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes to the floating f- fish or whatever it is. Okay, right. Okay, so exotic vets. Being all like emotional and stuff, my, um, just like family and stuff do because 
all of their different career paths. So um, husbands in the military, um, I can say husband now, that's weird. Um, but also his little, you know, side gigs, doing his property and stuff and ambition and things like that. That, that stuff like that always inspires me. Um, my parents retired and we've had some family tragedies and just watching them kind of go on and, and um, do what they need to do and live their life I find quite inspiring. But and 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 actually, we've got. We, it's funny. We got a couple of answers recently where people were just like, like everyone that I've worked, you know, I, just so many veterinary professionals that inspire. Everybody brings their own thing to this profession, uh, and I mean, I've got a lot of time for um, you know some of these vets. One of which um, she actually knew Ash. She went to my vet school and. Um, and she made her own practice in Sri Lanka, Janie. Um, I don't speak to her that often, uh, but she does We Care in Sri Lanka. Everybody, follow the page, donate. It's amazing. And just watching how she literally left her life in the Northeast and just has changed so much. I just kudos to anybody that can leave loved ones or whatever and live there. And they absolutely amazing. I mean, I worked in India for only a, a month or so with the street dogs, and that was soul destroyingly tormenting. And I'm, I'm not even sure I could deal with the emotional turmoil of seeing pets like that, or pets, not pets, street dogs and things. Um, so stuff like that, I find super inspirational. That anybody can, you know, forego their personal happiness for other things, other sentient wow. beings that's truly no that was a very good answer then so we covered everyone oh, where did that from? <laughs> we covered everyone um so um you um have obviously spoken about um your experiences as a your positive and maybe some negative experiences as a vet but if you were to have your time again and you were to make that application to nottingham vet school would you still do that would you still apply yeah without question without question um the funny thing is as well, you can say, would I apply? It was actually, I had a mini meltdown, um, I think the night my personal statement was meant to be in, where I was like, can't do it. Oh my God, this is it. No, too stressful. A-levels were the worst exams of my entire life. And I must have drafted a personal statement and deleted it. And I was like, nope, not doing it. And it was actually my mum. My mum rewrote it with me. Wow. About 11.45. Re recreated the mess that I'd written to, because she's always been really good with words and knew that it was, knew that it was what I wanted to do. And, um, we, you know, we, we redid it together and that was it. And I will always be grateful for, for pushing me that final little poof to do it. Um, so yeah, I definitely would. And I, I mean, obviously biased, but I absolutely loved Nottingham. It was the best five years of my entire life. Oh yeah, no, I would agree. Well, I, I didn't go to Nottingham, but I would agree that actually, my favorite part of being a vet was going to vet school. <laughs> like that was there. Like I just love. Oh my lord, it's did I love it? Wasn't it? Like, even things that you think, like I actually miss, and it's weird. The thought of going into exams now, which I obviously hated at the time, because it is surrounded by such positive memories. Like, like all looking at each other in exams, thinking, "Oh God, I don't know the answer to this veterinary public health." question uh, and then all coming out and like chatting oh and just like obviously a lot of drinking um, but, um it's funny actually you say that because i have a, a friend joe who now lives actually not too far from me in scotland but 
we mm. we did we studied together for a certain set of exams and i remember listening to the soundtrack for from coyote ugly and that's absolutely fine and bon jovi and bon jovi's back catalogue i may be showing my age a little bit but i think mm-hmm. but but honestly but th- but that you know you know when you talk about that that soundtrack to your life and those songs mm-hmm. oh my goodness we will always share that experience yeah, you know yeah, yeah. you know and it's not just that like i was i was back at edinburgh because we're potentially using the old vet schools maybe a, a cpd venue anyway mm. um and honestly the nostalgia it's now an arts venue Summerhall in edinburgh it's now an arts venue and i literally wanted to like punch people and be like what do you think you're doing here this is where i went to vet school and this is the <laughs> and the library <laughs> yeah the library's now because the guy at the reception was like so um have you been around this building before and i felt like saying are you kidding me there's literally there's 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 literally spots of blood on that wall that came from me. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, do you know? Like, honestly, I feel, you feel kind of quite like, and I think other people from Edinburgh would feel that defensive way. Yeah, it is. It's, you're right. It's the soundtrack to your life. It's it's nostalgia. It's everything. I re- I remember, you know, being doing all nighters in the mm. library with a group of people listening to Ludovici Arnaudi like how <laughs> um doing like powerpoints and what listening to the bir- listening to the birds and it just such such yeah. nice memories oh. and then just getting absolutely on it after like an LCB exam at a house up the road uh, and then going into lectures the next day those are the days those are the yeah no I couldn't agree more um I've lost track now. We're getting nostalgic. What is my next question after that? Typically is, oh yeah, okay. So um, of all the things that you've said that are very inspiring and, and, and good advice that you've given, if if you had to give one piece of advice to those who are listening, what would that piece of advice be? I think it would be, oh, I've got two pieces of advice. I'll go with one. Give us both. Give us both. So give us both. first of all, it would be just don't set yourself unrealistic expectations or on the flip side, have realistic expectations of what you want from your career. If you want to just be happy being a GP vet, that is absolutely perfect. You don't need to go anywhere else. You don't need to do extra qualifications. You don't need to, you can just be an absolutely spot on GP vet, or you could be, you you don't even have to be a vet to be a a veterinary professional you you can go on whatever path you want just fi- try and find the area that you enjoy and and r- remain in it um but the other thing is more so for i would say the new the newer ones and i, and I say this all the time it's just don't compare and also going through vet school just don't compare yourself to others don't compare where other people are up to compared to you if they've done three bitch phase if you've done two foreign body room it doesn't matter it really, really doesn't matter. As long as you can work with integrity and you can be compassionate at work and know that at the end of the day, you've done all that you can do and you've done the best that you can do, that's all you need. Don't worry about anything else. It's all just background noise. And then try and find someone or some place really nice to work. That's great too. Three pieces of advice. Three that was very people. good advice, though. I think that was very good. Oh, it's my job. It's my job. I've got to give good advice sometimes. Yeah, that was good. Gosh. Well, listen. That was. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us. That was um, a joy, and um, we're very appreciative of you taking your time to do that so thank you honestly thank you so much and I I when I say you know joking aside I love hearing your voice but I genuinely love hearing your voice as in it's nice to hear 
you as that as a you know you're very much a person on Instagram but like you say putting that kind of true person to the person I think is actually quite quite nice I am just a normal person and I think that's you know all joking aside on my social media I maybe it comes across as it's quite you know Louisa that she's very this is these are her cases and I, you can tell by the way that I speak that I am just a normal person um you know i I joke a lot at work there are a lot of swear words which obviously scott told me not can you believe people that know me will be like did he really say that to you that's an absolute joke (laughs) (laughs) um i'm very lucky that um actually while social media brings a lot of um downsides if you let it um it's brought me a lot of positive experiences and i've met a lot of nice people such as yourself who have been very kind and helpful to me and as you know I frequently um, message people like yourselves um, for advice and help because you know yes I'm a GP vet and I see a lot and I've got some experience doesn't beat other people's experience and so I think we've all got to work together which is why I meant don't compare yourself you know yeah might come across as a Mrs Know-it-all I certainly am not and I frequently am messaging uh, or contacting other professionals for advice and support and I think that's what we can do exactly like, like I said as we all are and I think that's that you, you know one of the the biggest joys for me about working in a team of people is 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 very much that that breadth of breadth of experience it would be very sad and lonely to yeah. work in that very unidimensional way so no I think that's part of the joy isn't mm-hmm. it we all have very different experiences and have something to bring to the table you know um you're my port of call for pyometra advice i mean i just you know <laughs> if, you, if you need any pyometra advice i am the go-to person they, they, they just, just they just appear they just seem to be there all the time That's yeah no I, I was like you know what i'm gonna make a video and put some sort of horrendous theme tune song to it <laughs> No, I, I love I love it all. But that's why, you know, I love it. I love it all. I think I need to get more into the exotics people pages. Oh, my days, right. Honestly, it's been, I'm going to change your life, Scott. Change my life. Thank you for chatting so much. And enjoy the rest of your evening. But thank you so oh, much again. Thank you. That was, that was a hoot. Okay, so we're going to be continuing our coagulation clinical chat today. We're almost at the end. Um, we've we've spoken a lot about primary coagulation and, and the role of platelets and in, in normal function and disease. Uh, and we're now going to go on to talk about secondary hemostasis. And really, as we said, secondary hemostasis is when we're talking about ultimately the clotting factors, the, the clotting cascade, what comes after platelets ultimately and I think you know that as we said clotting is extremely complex and there's huge amounts of different bits to it and but I think from a practical point of view we don't necessarily need to understand every single nuance of coagulation because we would be here for a very long time and probably be very bored so I think ultimately when it comes to what we can measure in-house or at the lab practically we're talking about our ability to measure APTT or activated partial thromboplastin time uh, or PT, which is prothrombin time. So they're the two main ways that we measure uh, secondary coagulation. And APTT and PT assess different parts of the secondary uh, clotting cascade. 
Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that maybe you just have to remember. So there are two sort of main arms to the plotting cascade. So there's the intrinsic pathway and there is the extrinsic pathway and then the final common pathway, which is common to, to both arms. And in a very sort of uh, straightforward way, the extrinsic part of the clotting cascade is what we assess with PT or prothrombin time. And the intrinsic part of the clotting cascade we, men we measure with APTT or activated partial thromboplastin time. So practically, that's the kind of things we're measuring. When we look at the, the extrinsic and intrinsic pathway as far as what different factors are we assessing, that starts to become a bit more, potentially a bit more complicated. So, well, let's start with the most straightforward thing. So we said that the extrinsic pathway is measured by PT and really the extrinsic pathway is factor seven. So that's really what that's assessing. Uh, and so that's relatively straightforward. The intrinsic pathway, which is APTT, or activated partial thromboplastin time, it's a bit more complex. So it's not just one factor. It's factors 12, 11, 9, and 8. Now, I, again, there are some reasons why actually practically that does become important. And the way I remember it, if it's helpful to anyone, is... So the intrinsic pathway is factors 12, 11, 9 and 8. So I remember it like it's change. So it's not 12 pounds, it's 11, 98, 11, 98. So 12, 11, 9, 8. Some of you might be going, oh God, that makes no difference to my ability to remember. But anyway, it helps me. And then for the extrinsic pathway, which is uh, factor 7 and is measured by PT or prothrombin time, uh, I remember that... Um, PT measures the extrinsic pathway because if you put E in the middle of PT, it spells PET. So this might be the point that you have to go back a bit and be like, what did he just say? Um, anyway, those are little things that help me uh, potentially a little bit. There are some other, so, so PT and APTT are the main sort of practical ways that we can measure secondary hemostasis. There are some other tests. So um, there's a test called activated clotting time or ACT. Um, I um, have never used that practically. Uh, I saw actually on Instagram an Australian vet using it the other day. It's a it's a test that comes in a tube. Um, uh, so it's a very sort of bench top, easy to do sort of um, sort of test. Um, I I've never used that, but I know that is available. Um, it's similar to what APTT does, um, but uh, not something that I've seen widely uh, available. We can also measure things like individual factors, um, but that's slightly more specialist. You know, that's something that you'd be sending off to an external laboratory. And other sort of tests that might be available are fibrinogen and D-dimers, but they are less commonly less commonly assessed. So as we said, in a in-clinic point of view, measuring PT is commonly done alongside APTT. And as we said, PT or prothrombin time uh, measures uh, the extrinsic and common pathways, uh, which is ultimately factor 
seven really as a, as as the the thing that makes it stand out from other uh, what other things are assessing um and uh, from a practical point of view you know a prolonged pt with a normal aptt that ultimately indicates factor 7 deficiency so that is practically helpful and when we kind of think about translating that into true practice then this is useful when we're assessing uh things like vitamin k uh antagonist uh toxicity so rat poison type things so that can genuinely translate into something that is very practical as we said aptt or activated partial thromboplastin time is uh, assessing the extrinsic and common pathways, uh, sorry, the intrinsic and common pathways, um, and that's factors 12, 11, 9, and 8, uh, ultimately. Um, so from a practical point of view, um, uh, you know, when we're seeing uh, prolongations in APTT uh, with normal PT, then it's got to be, it's not quite as straightforward as the other way around, but it's got to be a problem with either factors 12, 11, 9 or 8. Um, and from a practical point of view, um, probably the situation where that would be the case would be things like haemophilia, which is factors 8 and 9, haemophilia A and B. Um, but you would have to go on to measure um, individual factors. So there, there can be a use there if, if PT... Uh, versus APTT is you know if one is normal and the other is not then that can be helpful in many sort of disorders of of coagulation where uh you know you may find that PT and APTT are both abnormal um and that shows you that there's a significant issue with secondary coagulation um but um doesn't allow you to make those sort of differentiations if one is normal versus the other being abnormal and again, just to kind of reiterate, with these, um, particularly with these kind of in-house PT and APTT um, tests, we've also got to get in context how abnormal is abnormal. And I know that's a really obnoxious thing to potentially say, but um, we can see mild uh, abnormalities or increases in PT and APTT that are not always necessarily clinically significant it's really important to correlate these tests with um your patient you're running them hopefully because you think the patient has got a coagulation disorder and i think that's also important like you know there's um i would be very rarely running these sorts of tests in patients that are not showing signs of actually bleeding you know it's it, it, you know so we're, we're we've got to make sure we're not just you know we're not certainly we're not running pt and aptc and every dog that comes in the door we've got to have a reason to be doing it um and so we may find sometimes that there are mild increases in pt and aptt normally we don't start to really stand up and pay attention to these values uh, until they're more than 20 to 25 percent above the top end of the reference and and so some mild increases um can be not necessarily clinically significant with these uh, particular um with these particular values um just to mention so so PT and APTT tend to be uh, tests that are available as, as benchtop uh, tests. So these are things that, that you will be able to run in-house. 
individual factor analysis, fibrinogen, D-dimers tend to be um, uh, samples that need to be submitted to external laboratories, although there are some in, in-house analyzers. Um, and just be very careful, particularly with individual factor analysis, that you're double checking what is necessary from the lab's point of view, from a, from a submission point of view. So really, really important that you are um, uh, that you are checking with the lab as far as what they need um, before submitting things like individual factors. And as we've sort of mentioned before, I think if you, um, and you, you'll hear this mentioned more and more, really the only way to measure global coagulation from start to finish as comprehensively as you can um, the best way of doing that is using thromboelastography or TEG. Now, this is something that you will see lots of papers reporting the use of TEG in, in very various different conditions in, in animals, very much in a kind of research setting. More and more, you will see referral centers having this sort of machine in-house. And certainly, I have worked places where they have it um, but it's not a widely available test and it's actually um, difficult to to it's the kind of thing you really want to be running uh, in-house it's not necessarily something that you can easily send blood off for either but but I suppose as time goes on um, more and more we may see um, you know we may see TEG becoming more uh, widely uh, available. So just to mention a couple of conditions where this might be practically applicable from a secondary coagulation point of view, I think vitamin K antagonist uh, rodenticides or or, uh, rat and mouse poisons is probably one of the most or the best examples. So um, ultimately, vitamin K deficiency because of a toxicity um, is going to cause ultimately deficiency in the vitamin K dependent factors. And the vitamin K dependent factors are factors two, seven, nine, and 10. And again, something else just to randomly remember, but the reason that's important, so the vitamin K dependent factors are two, seven, nine, and 10. Of those factors, factor seven has the shortest half-life. We have said that we assess factor seven ultimately by measuring PT. And so that becomes clinically important because if factor seven is the shortest half-life, then PT, prothrombin time, that test we can do in-house, that's the one that's going to be defective first. Ultimately, PT and APTT will both be abnormal with vitamin K uh, antagonist toxicities but PT will be abnormal first because of that factor seven and its half-life. The type of clinical signs that we'll see with vitamin K um, uh, toxicities um, is, uh, so this is very much talking about these rat poisons ultimately, um, are things like epistaxis, melina, gingival bleeding, hemoptysis, hematuria, Many of them will will present dyspnea, coughing, uh, lethargic. So respiratory signs are not uncommon. Um, And there will sometimes be a history of eating the said rat poison. But not always. I would would say actually, um, 
rat and mouse poisons are not always vitamin K um, uh, affecting. Some of them are neurotoxins and different things. I would always make sure you're double checking exactly what the active ingredient in the poison is because they're not always by default uh, substances that affect vitamin K. And obviously the, the um, uh, you know, the, the, that will affect ultimately how you how you treat these patients. Um, so as I said, uh, the most useful tests are, are PT and APTT with the understanding that uh, PT will be increased first. And actually our approach to patients that have eaten um, these sorts of toxins, we would definitely want to induce emesis uh, we would definitely want to give them activated charcoal, but we wouldn't necessarily want to give them vitamin K supplementation as a blanket default. The better approach is actually to deal with the initial uh, gastric de decontamination and, and, and activated char charcoal, as I said. But actually what to do is to ultimately then be, instead of giving long courses of vitamin K supplementation to all of these patients by default, then actually thinking about whether we um, measure uh, the PT particularly 36, 72 hours after the ingestion. And so if we're regularly then assessing coagulation times, then we only need to supplement if they are abnormal because if the patient has normal PT and APTT 36, 72 hours after the ingestion, then it may be that you've done enough with your initial decontamination to avoid long courses of vitamin K. Just to, before we um, sort of finish uh, just this first part of secondary coagulation, just to, to mention the haemophilias, haemophilia A and B, uh, deficiencies in factor eight and nine. Um, um, these are uncommon uh, conditions generally. So these are not things that you're going to run in every day. But ultimately, uh, these are usually X-linked uh, recessive uh, problems with males being affected and females being car carriers. Haemophilia A is more common than B. And these are hereditary um, disorders of coagulation. So these are um, things that you're going to um, uh, see in, in younger animals um, with hemorrhage obviously being uh, the, the the main sort of clinical sign. You know, things like, you know, puppies that will bleed excessively when they get their microchip or uh, actually the cases that I've seen uh, often have, have, have presented actually with lameness because of intra-articular bleeding. So they can present in different ways, but usually these are, are, are problems that you... Um, detect earlier on in life and actually many of these little puppies are don't do very well and may not survive very long um these patients with haemophilia will have a prolonged aptt but a normal pt and in, in order to make a definitive diagnosis then you really need to um measure individual factors and then try and navigate these little guys uh, through their lives by uh, sometimes just wrapping them in cotton wool actually but uh, you know uh, metaphorically speaking but but um then also thinking about prophylactic the the prophylactic need for transfusions uh, whenever they're needing any sort of procedure uh, that may induce bleeding but but not cases that you'll see particularly commonly 
So that's just a, a whistle-stop introduction to secondary coagulation. And to finish off next time, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how we can manage and, and potentially uh, help to treat some of these uh, coagulation disorders. A massive thank you again to Louisa for the conversation today. Um, as I said, it really was um, just an utter joy to chat to her. So a massive, massive thank you to her again. I want to say a massive thank you as always to you out there for listening. We are so blown away by your ongoing support and it really truly does mean the world uh, to us. Um, if you want to hear or learn more about VTX, then head over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. Uh,